Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all of the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. Yeah, alright, okay. <laughs> it's dramatic. Dramatic effect. The two very melodramatic films. Melodramatic? Oh, don't you even try telling me Revenge of the Boogeyman isn't melodramatic. Uh, well, they're mellow. I'm slightly dramatic. Today we bring you the biggest divider since Cat People. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I, no, hang on. Let me let me correct Cat myself. I, I, I enjoyed Cat People. Um, Chris straight up fucking hates the Boogeyman, and we are discussing the Boogeyman. It's our final uh, nasty November episode for this year, and. It's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed doing Nasty November. I think it should be a thing. It's been alright. It's been good. It's been good. Fun to talk about these films. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we'll go through all of the uh, video nasties. Well, we'll probably finish all the video nasties by the time we finish all of Friday the Thirteenth. Well, I can't imagine <laughs> us sitting here talking about the Beast in Heat. Well, you never know. You never know. Okay. See what people vote for next year. Oh God. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's it's been fun, and what way, what better way to end it than with uh, a double bill of the Boogeyman and Revenge of the Boogeyman. We were going to do a triple bill, but if you can find Return of the Boogeyman, please let us know. It's nowhere to be found on this planet. Probably for the best. Yeah, the best. I think it has a 1.4. nowhere to be found. Um, yeah, so, I mean... I have a bit of history. I remember the Boogeyman um, from when I was younger. It was on a double bill DVD. Well, actually, there's four films on it. There's Halloween 4 and 5 and the Boogeyman 1 and 2. Uh, but I never watched it back then. But as soon as 88 films released on their slasher classics, I got it. And I think it's a very underrated slasher film. Uh, and the likes of Churches, pop sensations, and uh, the... Um, the director of Censor would, would agree. Good for them. <laughs> it was obviously used as part of inspiration. I have a lot of other films for uh, Church's fourth album. And yeah, Censor is just based around all video nasties. And I believe there is a clip from this shown within the opening sequence to Censor. Am I right? I can't remember. You know the opening titles? I, I know Nightmares and Damaged Brain. And I swear Boogeyman was the other one. Um, but yeah, it's got a few few fans. Um, well, uh, another speaking of music influences, um, it's actually influenced Michael Jackson's "Man in the Mirror." <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's I mean that's my side of things. I I am a boogeyman defender. Chris is not. Well, my history with it is that I knew it was on the video nasties list. I wanted to watch it because it was on the video nasties list. Uh, my friend had what I believe to be a copy of the film. And I was like, oh, can I borrow this? And I did. And it was the remake Oof. with the original's artwork. It's rough. Um, so I just I just never watched it. I was, I was disappointed. I never watched it. Good choice. Never really thought about it again. I knew it existed. Um, met Gary. You had the Blu-ray? I did. I did. You put it on, and I was fucking bored to tears. <laughs> I thought it was awful. I genuinely thought it was one of the worst things I've ever watched. Um, then we started this podcast, and I've watched worse films. So it's not actually the worst thing I've ever watched. 
So there we go. There's a positive. Although the second one might actually be the worst oh, thing I've ever watched. It's not the... Come on. You... I'm sorry. You weren't entertained during... Um, yeah, okay, okay. It is not good. It is not good. But I would... I'm going to go on record and say... I would rather rewatch Revenge of the Boogeyman than The Boogeyman. Because it has all the best bits from the first film. And it has this fucking ridiculous trash the piece side to it. Like Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Where we get fucking ridiculously camp conversations. Entertaining deaths that have been heavily cut and need to be released uncut. And a fucking car explosion. What more can you ask for? Um, coherent plot. <laughs> yeah, but let's... Interesting let's, characters. We'll get to that because let's not forget it was done on purpose. Starting with The Boogeyman, released in 1980, directed by Yuli Lamel, uh, the director of The Tenderness of the Wolves. That was fucking disappointing, wasn't it? That was disappointing. That was actually really disappointing. Um, I know Uli Lamel from his work with Rainier Werner Fassbinder. So when all these films, as him as director, we've watched these, I thought, this bitch hasn't learned anything. <laughs> Because he worked with Fassbinder in a lot as an actor in a lot of his films. He ain't learnt shit. And no, he um, directed Cocaine Cowboy. Hang on, come on. So you're saying the cinematography in, in the first Boogeyman shit? I'm not saying shit. Well, it's not the best. It's in the as world. stylish as a low budget video nasty is going to be. Great, wonderful. <laughs> Cocaine <laughs> Cowboys, <laughs> Brainwaves, Prozzy. <laughs> yeah, let's not. That, that's bad. that's one of the worst films I've that ever was seen. Boring. The Devonsville Terror, Strangers in Paradise, Overkill, Warbirds, Cold Heat, Sex Crimes, Return of the Boogeyman, Curse of the Zodiac, The Manson Family Court, Queen of Rio, and lots more. He also directed a film that I cannot remember the name of. I think it's Daniel or or some film, and. I remember it because it was at the top, or the bottom, should I say, of IMDb's worst film. And it turns out it was a film based around um, a guy who came, like, seventh in German Idol, German pop idol. And it was well-renowned well for being one of the worst films ever made. We might have oh, to do okay. it for the podcast, okay. actually. Sounds good. Um, yeah. Budget, $350,000. Bizarrely enough, apparently... Now, I only go by the sources I find on, on the good old internet. Through Wikipedia and IMDb, I double, triple check this. It says the same thing everywhere. Apparently, worldwide, it made $25 million. Well... That's a lot of fucking money. That for is a lot. Nineteen eighty and a $350,000 film. Uh, maybe? Was it a success? Well, um, you know what? No, absolutely believe it because that's what got the pressure of the sequel. Well, I would assume... because yeah. they wanted a bigger budget uh, sequel to the original. Yeah. So getting into it, uh, the trivia. Susanna Love is the sister of co-star Nicholas Love, who plays her brother... She also got married to the director and uh, co-authored the screenplay. Okay. Get that writing credit, girl. I'm very superior of you. Albert Zugsmith suggested to Uli Lamel uh, that he should cast John Carradine in a secondary role in order to enhance the film's overall commercial appeal. 
Caribbean scenes were all shot in a single day. And I mean, apparently it worked. <laughs> Made 25 million. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not... Yeah. Well, maybe it did. Stylistically, Uli Lamau stated that he wanted to make a movie about outrageous killings set in an average-looking environment with ordinary actors. First uh, established things... <laughs> First, establish things an audience can identify with, then inject horror into a normal environment. With ordinary actors? <laughs> he was married to one of them. <laughs> Get off. They fucking... John Carradine. Oh, ordinary actor John Carradine. No big deal. <laughs> I can see that's the Fassbinder influence there. Because Fassbinder, he, I mean, he wasn't known for... Um, employing the most glamorous of actors, was he? Well, was Uli Lamal a character in that shitty Fassbinder biopic? Yes, he was. Yeah. Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm not even going to ask you to describe which one because I don't remember a thing about that film. I would have been bored out of my mind. It was that was that was that, that was awful. That was really bad. The film was given enfant terrible. Something like that. Yeah. Don't don't encourage people to watch it. I know, don't. The film was given a limited release theatrically in the US by the Jerry Gross organisation, uh, with screenings beginning uh, in 1980 in November. It grossed approximately $25 million. The little of its significant income went to the filmmakers and performers, as the distributor was in the midst of bankruptcy at the time of its release. Oh, so there you go. okay. I mean, there was the perfect time for oh, a film absolutely. like this. Yeah. You know, 1980, it's very on point. Yeah. You know, these films were very popular. Vipco released it on VHS in the UK in 1981. In October 1983, it was listed as a video nasty and removed from shelves. It never had the chance to build the reputation the true notorious video nasties gained due to it being dropped from the list in 1985. Yeah, I don't, I don't really see why it was on... Video nasty. It's, it's more grisly than the witch that came from the sea. Yeah, you bit like like I said last episode. Th- there's one particular scene in the witch that came mm. from the sea that is both sexual and yeah. violent, and that's what they hated. I mean, there's a certain boob flash death scene. Yeah, yeah, but that's I mean. Yeah, no. yeah. If that's as bad as it gets, then I can see why it didn't last. Shortly yeah. after the Boogeyman was released, it became embroiled in the video nasty debate, as I've just mentioned. In 1984, it was placed on the Director of Public Prosecution's 33 Strong Second List of films deemed inappropriate for public consumption. Um, it was then whisked away, whisked away from video store shelves. Uh, whilst never actually successfully prosecuted, it made a name for itself in that time because of that. Uh, so much that its sequel from 1983 also got banned because of this. So, yeah, I mean, we're doing a double feature. Uh, both of these films are on the Video Nasty list. There's absolutely um, no reason whatsoever for the sequel no. to the Video Nasty list. <laughs> Other than the clips from the first film. Yeah, I'm so uh, ridiculous. <laughs> Guilty by association, I think that was. But it's shocking that Evil Dead 2 didn't make it onto there. No. But Evil Dead 2, I'm assuming, had a bigger distributor didn't they i suppose yeah and maybe it was released a little too late um yeah but, but it's it's the the old 
um, story of Steven Spielberg getting a PG for Poltergeist. Yeah. You know, there's no way that film's a PG. No, no. You, but you've got a big studio behind you. It's why they picked on these films. Mm. Because there was much worse going on oh, yeah. elsewhere at Hollywood. I mean, Friday you know? the 13th was released the same year as this. Yeah, exactly. But it was Paramount. Yeah. You know? Uh, what year was Scarface? I mean, that was 83. So that's yeah, the same yeah. year as yeah. the, the sequel. The sequel. And Scarface is so much more violent mm. than a lot of these films. So getting into the film through the reflection in the mirror. Just, and... I'm so sorry. Can I just go back to this film? Because it's been driving me insane. <laughs> it's called Daniel the Wizard. <laughs> and it's evil assassins want to kill Daniel Kublock, <laughs> the third runner-up for the German idols. It's got a 1.7 and it... It looks like it's got a 1.7. That sounds amazing. Um, so we might have to do it for the I podcast. So. <laughs> so getting into this film, um, through the reflection in the mirror, a girl witnesses her mother's boyfriend's murder. We start with a classic 80s style black background, but with a red font and the amazing soundtrack. I love the score to this film. Yeah, do you know what? Credit where it's due, that's a good soundtrack. Very synth heavy. It sounds like they're going a bit for The Exorcist, a bit for Halloween, but doesn't come across as too much of a ripoff to the point it's distracting. It's it's just really atmospheric. Oh, it's totally given tubular bells. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A guy in a wife beater vest approaches a saucy mother on the sofa with a bottle of whiskey uh, whilst her kids, Willie and Lacey, watch from the window. This might be the most amount of times I've ever said Willie in a podcast episode. Yeah. Um, well, then, no, I don't know, actually. We're going to play a drinking game. <laughs> Every time me or Gary say Willie, you have to drink. Also, every time me or Gary say flashback, you have to drink. <laughs> also, I mean, that's just Willie on this episode. Don't do it whilst listening to the whole of our show, because, I mean, we're fucking alcoholics in no time. We're always talking about dick. Um, she puts her tights on the guy's head uh, as he just stares at her. She notices the kids and says, What are you looking at, Lacey? Willie? I told you not to spy on us. What accent's that? I have no idea, on the spot. Um, opinion you're definitely not going to agree with. Oh. I found this guy really creepy when I first watched it. Tights man. Tights man, yeah. I mean, especially the mirror scene later on. I thought it was a really scary shot. That's, that is that is a scary shot later on. I it think is... the soundtrack definitely helps with that. Um, it is a creepy image of someone with tights on their head. Oh. <laughs> As he laughs whilst saying it. Um... <laughs> Halloween costume next year? Maybe. Cheap. <laughs> Get you a broken bit of a mirror to carry around as well. Um, the problem is that no one in this film and in the sequel is capable of showing any real emotion. <laughs> this is my problem. The both films, and I'll keep saying it, and I don't give a shit, I will keep saying it, no one can act properly. They don't show any emotion. The kids outside the window... Watching their mum get saucy with tights man <laughs> on the sofa. No emotion whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I, when I say I enjoy this film, let's, let's not make any mistakes. I'm not giving it five stars. It, it's not perfect, and, and the acting is one of the things that's wrong with it. It's, uh... And this beginning, you know, when tights man it does look very creepy. But this, and obviously we're going to go further into it, but this isn't original. This, I feel like on the podcast... We've had so many films that open like this. Oh, yeah, we were literally just discussing it the other week. Exactly. With, um, what did we discuss? Was it... Ten- no, not Tenebrae. 
But there was a film we discussed the oh don't go in the house. Don't go in the house. But as uh, but as a kid who witnesses his mum getting a bit frisky with someone, I think in that one it, it, she was just a, a bitch in general. Um, but th- there is a number of films where kids witness their mum getting frisky. Someone gets killed, and then we go to years later, and yeah, yeah. No, this is this has been done before, after, and will and it isn't done anymore, probably for good reasons. Um, we should bring it back. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is. It has been done before. Uh, it actually is very similar to Pieces, if I remember right. Pieces, Deep Red. Yeah. I don't think Deep... She wasn't getting saucy in Deep Red. She was just celebrating Christmas. But she's just, you know, she's having the best life. She's getting it on. Getting a bit of Willy whilst Willy watches. Um, the boyfriend's never given a name, which is odd, considering he's the main villain. Um, he is given a name. Is he? Tights Man. Tights Man. There we go. Um, what have you got him down as, uh, Just her boyfriend. <laughs> her, for the whole thing? Yeah. Oh, bloody hell. Let's go Tights Willy's man. mother's boyfriend. Um, Tightsman ties Willy to the headboard uh, before sending Lacey to her room. That sounds painful. <laughs> Lacey frees Willy. <laughs> I used to love that film. <laughs> Free Willy to the adventure home. <laughs> Is that what it's called? The adventure home? Yeah. Uh, oh. I thought he went home in the first one. Yeah, he comes back, doesn't he? He's still getting lost, that bloody whale. I I, oh, I used to love Free Willy too. Never the first film. I don't know why. It's just always the second one. Because <laughs> you're a hipster. I think that's. I think that was Do the film. Hipster now. I think that was the film where I realised I was attracted to men, which is boring because I watched it when I was like four years old. Who were you attracted to? Oh, Michael Madsen. No, not really. No, the kid in it. Well, I, I, I was a kid at the time. I was a kid at the time. <laughs> I was four. Someone's going to edit this. <laughs> I was four. The, the guy in the film was a teenager. And I, I don't know. I just felt something. I, I knew. Whilst watching Free Willy. The irony of it all. Okay. Was Michael Madsen in Free Willy? Michael Madsen was in Free Willy. I think Virginia Madsen was in Free Willy. I think they both were. No. Yeah. Wow. A Willy family outing. Well, it's something that they have in common with Boogeyman. Siblings. Acting together. Uh, no, let's not push it. Oh. Um, <laughs> so Willie is freed from his bed. <laughs> it's the fucking worst tangent we've ever been on. Um, Willie, <laughs> Willie enters the bedroom after walking. This is going to be a tough episode to get through. After walking down the hallway, holding the knife in front of the camera, young Michael Myers style, oh, and repeatedly know. stabs his mother's boyfriend with a chef knife in front of a large mirror. Yeah. That's what he does. Absolutely Halloween. It's absolutely a Halloween rip-off. Yeah, nothing more to say. 20 years later, Lacey, now an adult, is married to a cop called Jake and has a young son called Kevin. Oh, yeah, so I've got here... So we jump forward in time, but there's no indication of a jump forward in time. (laughs) No. Church is in session. Um, They're in church for some reason. Um, they're all singing church bangers, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, there's one guy who's not singing along, who looks a bit weird. His, <laughs> hair, his hair's a bit... You can tell that they killed someone when they were young because their hair's greasy. <laughs> what is it? Um, Blood Rage. Yeah. <laughs> where it, like, cuts to the future. And it's like, oh, it's definitely him. He's got greasy hair. 
I think that happens in uh, all of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, oh, what was the film where? Uh, no, I'm not going to give spoilers. Oh, for that. Oh, it's very like exact same thing, but with a different twist. Like, I can't remember what fucking film it was anyway. Um, yeah, so I mean, they live with their aunt and uncle on a farm uh, in a house that looks oddly like the Amityville Horror House. I mean, it's got the exact same attic windows. Uh, Willie also lives with them, but has been mute since the night he killed his mother's boyfriend. So yeah, they're all singing their Jesus bangers, apart from Willie. Uh, Lacey talks to the priest very briefly after about how she's worried about Willie, and he uh, he tells her <laughs> he tells her all she can do is pray. Pray for Willie. Yeah, that is all he says, actually. <laughs> this is what I don't get, is that... So, obviously, they've jumped in time. How long have they jumped? How long? Yeah, 20 how years. Long? Apparently 20 years. So, it's been 20 years. Yeah. So, how long has she been fucking going on about that <laughs> night? 20 years. This priest has probably been hearing her chat shit about what happened that night. Get over it, love. Father Riley comes to visit the family and they convince him to stay for dinner means uh, they're cooking chicken. Yeah, cut to Lacey on an incredibly loud swing. I have no <laughs> idea what anyone was saying that. <laughs> oh, fucking hell, put some oil on it. Or yes. edit your sound, mate. Um, yeah, they convince Father Riley with some chicken and nice wine to stay for dinner. Uh, and he compliments Willie on how he's looking. <laughs> Oh yeah, Willie. Willie's looking big and strong, <laughs> isn't he? Oh, big, strong, and hard. Oh, Willie's grown over time. He's been helping out his uncle at the farm. He's all muscly, old Willie. Just in case the Americans don't get it, Willie means penis. Um, oh, I suppose yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or anyone else around the world. Here in the UK, um, Willie is the kind of polite word that you kind of use when you're younger yeah but you don't you don't start saying cock or dick when you're growing up do you remember doodah being a thing no 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 you know because people are scared to teach proper words to their kids so instead of just going straight to penis (laughs) yeah you go willy and that was a lesson in willy from horror court trash over Join us again next week for our terms for vagina. <laughs> that night over dinner, Kevin compliments about the soup. Oh, no, doesn't compliment, sorry. He complains about the soup. Kevin fucking hates everything. What a terrible upbringing he's having. Um, Which one's Kevin? The kid. The kid. He's like, oh, oh sh- this soup's shit, mum. And Lacey finds a letter in the mail from her mother who claims to be on her deathbed and wishes to see them one last time. It was fish soup. Like, what is fish soup? Soup with fish. Oh, lovely, thank you. You're welcome. But surely that's not going to be very nice. I mean, if you had it in like a ramen bowl or something. I, I don't think they even know what ramen is where they live. No, they wouldn't. But so they're just having fish soup, so it's. No wonder the kid's disappointed. Um, he hates the whole process of fish soup. He even hates the making of it because, spoiler alert, when he goes fishing, he has a problem with that too. Um, yeah, so they get this letter from the mother, and I don't know why, I've seen this like three times now, and every time I seem to think they go to see the mother after getting the letter, that must be another film I'm getting mixed up with. Um, but yeah, the letter goes absolutely nowhere, she's like, yeah, I'm dying, and they're just like, okay, we don't give a shit, die, yeah. bitch. 
Um, she might as well have been dead. I don't know. Yeah. I would suppose this is the catalyst for her going back to the house. Well, she's triggered by the sight of a knife carving the chicken, uh, a mirror, and a bottle of wine, which makes her remember the night that Willie called the, killed their mother's boyfriend. I've just got my notes called. <laughs> just called her off. Like, yeah, you're right there. <laughs> yeah, she has a little moment, doesn't she? Yeah. And she gets... Should we have our first flashback to the murder? Uh, which just makes her husband, Jake, stare at her a bit weird. <laughs> Again, no emotion. No, no emotion in any of this. It literally... You might as well have just done, like, um, mannequins. <laughs> just do, like, stop-motion mannequins doing all this. Uh, Willie reveals that he has a knife collection in his drawer and burns the letter from his mother. Absolutely uh, yeah, no just, reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He steals the knife and puts it in a drawer with other knives that he's seemingly stolen. Um, I don't know how many knives are on this farm for them not to miss all these sharp <laughs> objects. Like, um, but yeah, okay. Props to you. Lacey suffers from nightmares and has a particularly frightening dream where she is dragged tied to a bed and almost stabbed by an unseen entity. Jake's had enough of this and takes her to a psychiatrist to help her confront her fears where she briefly gets possessed whilst under hypnosis and decides to go visit the house she grew up in. Did you notice that when Lacey was getting ready for bed, she was teaching Kevin how to brush his teeth? Oh, shit. Yeah, but it was... A bit late in life. That's what I was thinking. The kid seemed, what, how old? Like 10? Yeah. Surely he should know by now, but she's like, you put it on the brush, <laughs> put it in the mouth, brush this one, you brush that one. I'm like, it's a bit late, love. What's he been doing up to this point? This breath must fucking stink. Well, yeah. I mean, this is the first time you've shown him how to brush his teeth. Um, a random girl tries to flirt, in a bizarre series of events, uh, a, a random girl tries to get some Willy from Willy um, whilst he's feeding some chickens, but he starts strangling her and scares her off. Uh, before before he starts painting all the mirrors, the house black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this, okay, this sounds more stupid. People are going to really judge my taste. This sounds more stupid when we're discussing it. It's it uh, not this scene, but everything else makes more sense in the film. But the problem is, this is a supernatural <laughs> film. It's a supernatural horror film, and so this moment with Willie. Makes no sense no. because it's like it's just a red herring, but it doesn't go anywhere. No, we I don't... mean this poor girl, who's just been strangled, she survived and she ran off. Yeah. It seemed like she never told anyone. No, like she she never informed anyone. The police didn't come <laughs> round or anything like that. It's just a, a completely pointless. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jake and Lacey arrive at Lacey's old house. And not knowing who's actually living there, they meet two teenage girls and their younger brother, Timmy. Now, the girls don't get names, but we all know that little bastard Timmy, don't we? Uh, yeah, Timmy is a real arsehole, actually. Um, can I just say, Lacey and Jake are very fortunate that when they turn <laughs> up at the old house, um, the first thing that the girls say are, Are you from the real estate? <laughs> so, the, the house is up for sale. So they don't have to, like, awkwardly explain no. their story to go around the house. They're just like, yeah, we're just viewing. Very fortunate for them. Um, 
Yeah, so... Obnoxious Timmy scares them from behind the shower well, curtains Well, before that, we well. find out that their parents, the homeowners, have apparently just placed a home for sale and gone out of town. The daughter thinks Lacey and Jacob have been sent to the real estate, as we explained, and uh, they fully pretend that they're there to buy the house with no paperwork or anything. Uh, and then, yeah. They go... After that... Yeah, um, they go to the bathroom <laughs> where Timmy jumps out from behind the shower curtain and shouts, Booty Man! <laughs> Why did he know to say Boogie Man? Because <laughs> it's the name of the film. It's in the script. <laughs> it is weird. I mean, <laughs> there's no reason to say that at all. You know, when they go to another room, he goes... Hey, gorgeous. <laughs> Which kind of lures her into a bedroom where he isn't. Um, she sees reflected in the mirror, tights man, getting out of bed and walking towards her. Actually, a very creepy scene. Yeah. I will give props where it's due. A creepy scene. Um, only lasts about 15 seconds. Um, she then grabs a chair and smashes the mirror. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the girls don't really seem that bothered. <laughs> they don't really. Like, oh, Timmy's mirror, fuming. Well, that mirror was there when we got here. I don't care. Well, Jake starts picking up the pieces of the mirror, and Lacey's like, "What are you doing?" And Jake's like, "Picking up pieces of the mirror." And uh, Timmy says, "Yeah, you better take that out of here because it's bad luck." It's true though. And the girls are like, "Shut the fuck up, Timmy." Well, spoiler alert: all three of them wind up dead. <laughs> So maybe it is bad luck. Yeah, Jay takes the broken mirror of him in an attempt to repair it. I don't know. I really don't know why. I mean, it's a stupid idea. Um, but a piece is left behind and it glows red. Yeah, it is strange that he felt compelled to piece it back together. Yeah. Um. The what I don't understand is that both Willie and Lacey have weird moments staring into mirrors. But it's only this mirror that has shown tights, man. Uh-huh. But Jake doesn't know that. No. But, I mean, she's obviously... She's told him this story, hasn't she? He was there when she was with the therapist and everything. Yeah, but he didn't... Did she indicate to him that she saw... Well, I suppose she would have said she saw tights, man, in the mirror. It's a classic case of boyfriend not believing girlfriend in a horror film. Um, and then boyfriend... This one is a little far-fetched, though. I'm, it is. I'm not necessarily saying Jake should believe her. Yeah, but, I mean, it, and then it's the case of him just making it worse and getting people killed for his own stupidity. Well, kind of, but it, it's the piece that's left behind that kills people. Yeah. Uh, and then the pieces that fall off because it's still smashed. Um, spoiler alert, apparently just thrown it in the well. <laughs> resolves the issue so if he had just chucked it away straight away who knows it's true well shortly after the teenage girls and timmy are all violently killed by the unseen force which is the vengeful spirit of the deceased lover that has been released from the mirror he starts off by killing one of the girls by making her cut a chunk out of her hair cutting her top open and then stabbing herself in the neck with her scissors and that's the best you're gonna get out of this scene uh, because I mean it is fucking graphic, um, and yeah, we, we get a boob flash which kind of adds a little more grittiness to it. Uh, Timmy pokes his head through the well, window. It's a bit exploitative, isn't it? Well, yeah. Timmy pokes his head like, through. What, the... what was the point of her cutting her top open? Well, exactly. It's, it's 
and I think that's one of the things that they poke fun of in the sequel because it is just pointless and it's just exploitation. Yeah. Timmy pokes his head through the window uh, to prank her by shouting "Boogie Man" again for some reason, uh, and gets the window slammed shut on his neck and hands, and it kills him straight away. It does, like it doesn't yeah. even decapitate him; it just fucking kills him. It just him. squishes him. Um, yeah, and then the other girl, she sets the piece of glass on fire in the bathroom sink, and the killer hits her in the face of the bathroom mirror, and that kills her. Does it kill her? Yeah, yeah, she does. Well, she doesn't set it on fire, so she finds the piece, and it kind of takes her to the bathroom, where she sees the corpses of her siblings. Mm -hmm. Um, She's trying hard to sort of chuck it in the sink she gets it in the sink and it sets on fire yeah. then she gets whacked by the the mirror uh, the bathroom cabinet door which apparently kills her in i mean yeah this is uh it's an odd death but the scissors one definitely wins that scene yeah yeah we do we see sort of the piercing in the, in the neck mm-hmm. don't we yeah uh, later, pieces of uh, the broken mirror in the bag at w- in a bag at Willie's feet cause a pitchfork to levitate and nearly impale him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so before that, we get the doctor explains that Lacey's issues revolve around the guilt of giving her brother the knife, and breaking the mirror should have helped her, or, or some shit like that. That's going down. Yeah, Willie finds a bag in the barn and tiny pieces of mirror. Lacey appears and saves Willie from a garden fork being dropped on his head. <laughs> she wonders where it came from, but quickly gets over it. Yeah. Willie doesn't react at all. <laughs> um, yeah, very strange that this floating fork almost pierces him in the skull. Yeah. And she kind of questions it slightly, but it's like, oh, okay. And then like, carries on with her life. Whereas if I feel like if that happened to one of us, we would thoroughly investigate it. I mean, maybe she's got more of a reason to be concerned, considering she knows what's going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, seeing as no one's believing her, and she, but she fully believes in the supernatural um, activities, then, um, yeah, she should be way more concerned. A shard from the broken mirror becomes stuck to Kevin's shoe... Uh, when he goes fishing with his mum and is left on the ground where the light retracts across a lake where uh, a group of teenagers are partying by an abandoned house. Well, no, I mean, it's not left on... It's technically still on his shoe, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, when he's uh, fishing, he's like, Mummy, when am I catch a fish? And he's fucking fuming that he has to go fishing. Yeah, he is. He's having a terrible time. Uh, Willie cuts himself on the mirror... Jake sees this and says, see, now you've cut yourself. <laughs> Very little emotion. I've got here in my notes, was everyone on this set stoned? <laughs> Maybe. Um, so at the lake <laughs> where they're fishing, four teenagers are cooking one sausage on a barbecue. <laughs> Two of them go to an abandoned house. Um, he's, he's about to get a blowy. <laughs> she she's, 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 this abandoned house <laughs> looks rickety as fuck. There's probably, <laughs> you know, 12 dead rats in the corner. And she, you know, God bless her, gets on her knees and she's ready. 
Um, but then some sort of panelling falls on them. Yeah, the killer just wants to cop like this poor guy. Yeah, so she's like, oh no, I can't do this. Let's go home and I'll really give you a good time. Um, so they are getting ready to leave. Um, <laughs> with one cooked sausage and one disappointed sausage. Uh, and then we get the point of view, because the, this film loves a point of view. Because, with heavy breathing. Because somebody watched Halloween. Um, watching the dude get in the car. Yeah. So the one that didn't get the blowy goes to the car to get everything prepared. He then gets a barbecue skewer through the neck, <laughs> which goes through the neck and out the mouth. Yeah. Pretty cool, you know. It's pretty really decent. Great um, his girlfriend goes to investigate. <laughs> and uh, so she finds him and she like screams. But um, old tights man, ghost, whatever is, whatever this entity is, <laughs> Closes the door, smacks her in the ass. She flies forward, <laughs> and the part of the sort of poker that's poke skewer that's poking out of his mouth, then skewers her mouth. <laughs> so it looks like they're kissing, but really they've been skewered. It is a great. Double it's like scene. yeah, it is actually. It's it's pretty good. It's um it's funny because you know it could happen now. <laughs> yeah, the, the other the other couple just drive off and and leave them there because they think they're just making out in the car. Yeah, they're like fuck those two. We get our own <laughs> cars. Piss off. So they actually survive. Um. Soon after, Lacey flees to get in the house. I need to see that her shirt supernaturally starts to tear open, uh, whilst Jake tries to put the missing piece of glass onto the mirror, but something is stopping him causing his hand to bleed from the glass. I feel like this... Is... Wait, when was The Entity released? Oh, with Barbara Hershey? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I feel like that was after this. You think? Yeah, I mean... Sexual Threat by a Supernatural Force? Um, 1982. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. yeah but that kind of thing had been done before, surely, in ghost Has it? films. Surely. In oh, I don't know. If you, if you know, let us know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Um, it's. I mean, it comes out of nowhere. The scene. It, it, it is intense. I mean, we still don't see many reactions, but. There's, I mean, the special effects and everything that you know has a ripping a top open again. It's just exploitation, but it's intensity. Yeah, but it, it, it makes sense. If the character of Typeface had been developed a little more... Yeah. Um, I mean, he was just trying to get it on. Mm. But there was no indication that he was like a sex offender or anything. Yeah. Like, no indication of that. He just harshly punished Willie. Mm-hmm. It was never indicated that he harshly punished Lacey. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he'd been sort of known to have been a sex offender or had been inappropriate with Lacey, I'm thinking, you know, like Frank in Hellraiser. Yeah, yeah. His sort of characteristic when he was really inappropriate with um, Ashley Lawrence's character, mm-hmm. who I cannot remember the name of. Um, Kirsty. Kirsty. So that played into like that. Yeah. This would work, and it would make sense. That he would be inappropriate in this. So the cutting of the top mm-hmm. before the scissors yeah. would make sense if he, if that's how he'd been shown earlier in the film. He was just trying to get it on. Yeah. You know? Uh, Jake 
admits that he was wrong about everything and that he should have oh. believed Lacey all along. But then <laughs> Lacey's like, it's my mother's boyfriend, the dead one. And he's like, get the fuck out yeah. of here. What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about, you weirdo? He's dead. How could it be him? Why would he fucking haunt you? Like, okay, you, how? How have you gone from believing her to disbelieving her within seconds? Yeah, it's, um... <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a very, weird choice. It's very strange. Because, like, surely this is the big part of believing well, her. Yeah. Like, when he says, I believe... So what part does he believe, then? <laughs> like, this is it. Yeah. This, this is what she was saying. Um. So I, I think very insincere. Lacey's, Lacey's uncle calls uh, Father Riley... And tells him they need his help, whilst Lacey has a stress sick in the bed in the bedroom. Praise to God. Yeah, Father Frank, he's he's there. He says, uh, "I hear you're in a crisis. I'm on my way." <laughs> Father Frank. That's his name, Father Frank. It's Father Riley. Father Frank Riley. Oh, I think it's. But Frank. they refer to him as Father Frank. I don't know him on first name basis. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, Father Frank. <laughs> And a thing. Absolutely The Exorcist, though, isn't it? It's uh, what they're going for. Well, I was thinking at, at Amityville. Well, I suppose, yeah. I mean, the house does look like Amityville. But I was, th- I was thinking that a lot of imagery from this, from Father Frank, mm. Frank Riley, um, I found quite reminiscent of yeah, Amityville. Yeah, Jake goes to the psychiatrist. The a lot of films had priests coming in to save the day, right? Yeah. Moment. You know, just like Super Nanny. Jake goes to the psychiatrist and tells him all about the mirror and the ghost of Lacey's mother's boyfriend. So the psychiatrist, um, who was John Carradine? It was the psychologist, wasn't it? I thought it was the uncle. The uncle? Oh. Oh, surely they would have given John Carradine more to do. I don't know. They would have had to have paid him a great deal. Yeah, but the uncle's in it a fair bit. Oh, John Carradine is Dr. Warren. Oh, okay. Oh, I had no idea. So, he's the one that didn't have to interact with anyone else. Oh, Dr. Warren, are you fucking kidding me? Very on the nose, isn't it? Why? Of course this is as The Warrens. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, he goes to the psychiatrist to tell him all this big story. You know, he gets his word in. He gets to say all he wants to say. But then when the psychiatrist starts to read a similar story, he's like, do you know what? That reminds me of something else. Did you know? And Jake's like, well, I haven't got fucking time for that. I'm going. I'm out of here. See you later. He just leaves. (laughs) He starts trying to explain. Was he trying to sell him his book or something? Oh, that reminds me of another story. The Amateurville... I mean, um... (laughs) um, Okay, this is a slight tangent, but fucking hell, did John Carradine have a career? Yeah. The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, The Grapes of Wrath, Captain's Courageous, The Ten Commandments, The Court Jester, a film I love. Um, he's uncredited in Bride of Frankenstein. He's in Stagecoach. Was he Bill and Kill Bill or was that the other Carradine? That was, that would, I would have said that was his son. So that's mm. David Carradine. Oh, yeah. And um, the other one is Lizzie McGuire's dad. Yes, Robert um, Carradine. Robert Carradine. Um, Father Riley comes to the house and Jake starts to explain to him about the mirror. So Father Riley touches the mirror and it turns red whilst the piece of the mirror floats across the room and becomes lodged over Lacey's eye. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Stupid as fuck. 
fuck. It is, but that's why I love it. It's so goofy. So camp. Um, it's it's straight out of a Lady Gaga music video. Um, Are you fucking serious? (laughs) Letting the ghost uh, possess her body and her aunt and uncle are murdered off screen in the barn. Jake and Father Riley find the corpses in the barn. Lacey's uncle is pinned to the ceiling with a pitchfork. And her aunt has been strangled with a garden hose. Did the aunt do anything? Uh, fuck film? all, no. <laughs> She's. I think she had like a few lines about Lacey. Can you do the ironing? <laughs> but that was during the squeaky swing scene. So she fuck all else. Jake tries to call the police, but the phone wire explodes whilst Lacey frantically cooks. She just... He tells her, Jake tells her that her aunt and uncle are dead. She's like, oh, that's all right then. Less to do for me. <laughs> <laughs> Two less mouths to feed. <laughs> and Lacey turns around and a piece of glass in her eye is still there. Oh, they didn't even try and remove no. it from her eye. <laughs> and it starts glowing green. <laughs> Causing Jake's eyes to start to bleed. But it's the 80s and as Michael Myers has taught us, bleeding eyes means nothing. Yeah, yeah it does actually. <laughs> Yeah, actually just fuck off. Starts... I assumed he was dead. I was like, oh, he's dead. Oh, good. <laughs> Didn't like Jake. Lacey starts to float as the kitchen goes crazy and Father Riley approaches her with a cross, attempting to remove the glass from her eye while she psychically crushes his skull and stabs him in the back with knives and forks. <laughs> and they are just like dining knives and forks as well. The scene is fucking ridiculous on another level. It's is so it like Carrie? I don't know. You watched the film as well. Yeah, I forgot about this part. <laughs> I just thought his head was bleeding. No, no, he had knives and forks in his back. Like Carrie. Uh, he manages Did to... He? Yeah. Oh, like, literally bad. dining knives and forks. Sure. He manages to remove the glass before dying, dropping it in the sink before it catches fire. Jake and Willie... Yeah, Willie's in this film, by the way. Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. <laughs> Throw the remainder of the mirror into a well where it fucking explodes, releasing the trapped souls and destroying the mirror once and for all. Lacey... Which makes no sense. I know. <laughs> Kevin, Lacey and Willie, who can now talk, um, telling Lacey it wasn't her fault, um, visit the aunt and uncle's grave. After they leave, the final shard of the mirror on the ground, which had gotten stuck to Kevin's shoe, glows red, and the killer's breathing can be heard. Yeah, so after all this, the mirror gets thrown into the well. It's not a special well. It's not, there's nothing <laughs> it's just a well. magical about the well. <laughs> Apparently that's <laughs> Willie, out of nowhere, decided that this was how this was going to end. Yeah. Um, but apparently it works. Um... <laughs> Then we go to, strangely, Kevin and some unidentified kid running around in a graveyard. Um, No idea who this kid is, which I don't don't understand why the film would just have this random kid messing about with Kevin in a graveyard. Mm -hmm. Because of course you're going to question who the kid is. And then, so you're like, oh, Kevin, come here. And he's like, oh, bye. And she's like, his random graveyard friend. Um, we, uh, Lacey places flowers at the grave, but the cam, the camera is obviously facing the grave and the front of the grave, um, clearly handwritten onto some, like, prop. Um, doesn't look good, but it's, uh, whatever their names are. 
Ted and Alice or whatever. But Lacey places the flowers on the other side. Yeah. So surely that's not the front of the grave because we can see the front of the grave. <laughs> I, just, I, know it's, I know it's being pedantic, but it's fucking stupid. It's like, just put the flower. Why can't you just have the actress put the flowers at the front of the grave? Like, it's such a silly thing to overlook. But yeah, that's the boogeyman. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoy it. It's fucking dumb, but it, it's goofy, it's camp, it's entertaining. Whether for the right or wrong reasons. I, I think it's one of the better video nasties. Um, I just thought it was stupid. I really did, I'm sorry. I just I just thought it was really stupid. Um, none of it really made any sense by the end. Um, everything kind of... It just felt really poorly written to me. And the kills were okay. I enjoyed the soundtrack. Um, but that was about it. I think it would benefit from a modern remake. I mean, be- uh, ignoring the other remake that was made because that was terrible. Um, I think it would be a really good film to remake. Do you think? Yeah. Like, in all in all seriousness, do you think? Because I actually think so many of its better elements were taken from other films anyway. What would be the point? I suppose. I mean, if you're looking... Uh, I suppose Oculus did something similar. Yeah. Did a better job. But, I don't know. I think there's something that could be done with it. The specific no, storyline. Just, just chuck it down the well. Nastiest moment is, of course, Death by Scissors. Yes, the old Scissor Sister. I mean, I was conflicted because I thought the barbecue skewers was nasty. You know, goes right through his mouth by his teeth. But, uh, yeah. Death that by was, Scissors. That was quite goofy, though, wasn't it? Really? Yeah. It was kind of almost played for laughs. I also really don't understand what this whole reflected light from the mirror killing people thing was. <laughs> um... If the whole idea is it was Tights Man getting revenge, um, he kills more strangers than he does anyone else. Um, he what? He kills the aunt and uncle. The aunt and uncle had fuck all to do with it. The the people who the one person that was resp- really was one hundred percent responsible for his death. He doesn't even attack. <laughs> he didn't do anything to. No. Him. And that person for some reason, strangles a girl. I know. With no repercussions. <laughs> I mean, that was a tangent the film went on for no reason. Well, if you're looking for excuses, uh, excuses, explanations for any of this from the sequel, don't watch it because you're not getting any of it. But Revenge of the Boogeyman was released in 1982, directed by Bruce Pern, which is his only film, and uncredited Huli Lamel. Again. And uh, Paul Wilson, which is his only film, but he is the star of the Mae West biopic, The Goodbye Girl, Office Space, Problem Child 2, The Simpsons, Cheers, The Golden Girls, and lots more. It took three people to direct this. (laughs) Budget and worldwide gross are unknown. I don't think it's... Do you want to know... Do you want to know what the budget was for this film? Not much, bitch. Not much, bitch. <laughs> the first one made 25 mil. <laughs> this cost 25 pounds. I kind of hope it did get a big budget. Just, you literally about just pocketed it. 
Three directors. Let's split three. Hey, ways. as we know, if Brian De Palma can make Blowout for 18 million, he can make 50 films for that. <laughs> okay, so Paramount Pictures wanted to produce a bigger budget sequel to the hit movie The Boogeyman, but director-producer Yuli Lamel didn't want to work for a big studio and decided to make the film, which he had later pulled from circulation as an independent production. The first half of the original version of this movie is built up almost entirely of flashback footage from part one, which is the version we watched. However, Yuli Lamau released Boogeyman 2 Director's Cut in uh, 2003, which is uh, still approximately 85% of footage from the original film. When asked during an interview in 2010 if that was due to a lack of inspiration, Yuli Lamau just replied, it was all inspiration. <laughs> the fuck does that mean? It means he's no fucking idea what he's doing. <laughs> um, the director and horror author, uh, Dennis Itcherson, uh, worked together on a script for Boogeyman 2 when it was planned to be a sequel produced by Paramount Pictures. Okay. Yuli LeMau told the investors that if he could do whatever he wanted and call it Boogeyman 2, then he would do it. And they said, okay. And then they got this. But it turns out, Yuli Lamal didn't want to make a sequel at all. He actually thought sequels were a stupid corporate ideas, uh, exploitation ideas. Uh, so when he finally did it, he played himself, a director who didn't want to make that movie and just basically did whatever the fuck he wanted to and just made this film. <laughs> okay, okay. Finish your trivia and then I've got something to say. <laughs> Directed uh, by Bruce Starr, um, uh, Bruce Perns of a name apparently, and an uncredited Uli Lamau is written by Starr, Lamau, and Susanna Love return to do some writing but goes uncredited. Wonder why. According to Uli Lamau, uh, reactions from the investors upon seeing the film were mixed. Some hated it and some loved it. <laughs> Do you believe that? I think mean, they all fucking hated it. And a bit of trivia we had sent into us actually uh, from Ben Simpson nineteen ninety eight on Instagram. Rock McKenzie, who plays Jim in this film, went on to be on Elders React. He did. So we didn't know that, and we we love uh, the React, particularly Elders React. Um, unfortunately, dying yeah. earlier this year. Um, but yeah, I love that bit of trivia. So thank you for that. Um, and he was one of my favourites as well on, on Elders React. Um, but just in terms of the other trivia, I was under the impression that he said he deliberately made a bad film. Yeah, he did. To get back at the producers. Yeah. But he didn't go with... This isn't a Paramount Pictures film. True, but I mean, he was still forced to make it. But who... No, no. Paramount Pictures wanted to make a sequel. So he's, he said, no, I'll make a sequel. I'll make an independent film. Yeah. And, and then we fuck all budget. That's why he had <laughs> to make this shite. So really, it, was, it, it comes across from that trivia that he made this film purely out of spite. I mean, yeah. Really? Just, just to say, oh no, I'll make the sequel. <laughs> and just but then he's made this. Obviously, got no budget shit. for it. 
because he didn't have the backing of Paramount because seemingly he didn't make money off the success of the first film and so he made this shot so I don't think that I don't think that he deliberately made a bad film the whole thing is a very bitchy um, commentary on Hollywood but I mean the actual film itself not a little bit but the whole bit. the whole idea of the film is that he's a director who doesn't want to make a film. Um, no, he wants to make the film. Well, I mean, apparently to him, his character was meant to not want to make the film. Oh, kind of. Oh, it's a bit confusing. Yeah, we'll get into it as we get into the film, because there's not that much to cover, let's be frank. Lacey travels to Hollywood. Uh, Lacey now without a son or a husband or a brother. Yeah. For some reason. Travels to Hollywood to the home of a film director where she brings along the last surviving haunted mirror shard from the end of the first film as proof to her horrifying experiences. (laughs) What a stupid idea. It's such a stupid idea. In a bizarre series of events. But proof to who? No one knows her story when she gets there. Um... I also really enjoyed the tagline for this film. <laughs> mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the deadest of them all? In a bizarre series of events, right off the bat, um, we're given handwritten tomato ketchup opening credits on scrap paper whilst two people drive around Hollywood at a very sensible speed for ages. And I mean ages. It's only an hour and 15 minutes long, the film. And it's not like some artistic handwritten way. No. Necromantic, does it? This is just... This is literally like ketchup on paper. You can actually see his fingers holding up the fucking paper. Yeah. (laughs) He did not give a shit. He didn't care how stylish this looked. It looks fucking awful. That's the thing. He's making a film about Hollywood, essentially. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like... Like I said, like, Necromantic is meant to be a grimy film. It's yeah. meant to be low-budget, backstreet, you know. Um, this is this is meant to be a film about a Hollywood director. <laughs> um, why have you got these awful opening credits? Because <laughs> this is him saying, Ha, that'll teach you asking me to make a sequel. <laughs> oh, yeah. <Do> you... <laughs> Here's some paper. Do you remember not too long ago when I listed off some um, all-time classics that John Carradine starred in? Um, well, add Boogeyman 2 to that list. Yes. Because he gets a fucking credit. He does. <laughs> the soundtrack sounds like a budget version of the film's first film score. Um, the, sa- the soundtrack was giving me the first film, but also um, kind of a rip-off of Rick Wakeman's Burning, the burning soundtrack. Yeah. Um, that's what it was giving me. A camera crew is shooting a scene for a film in which a girl is doing some very boring swimming in a fancy swimming pool. Oh, yeah. That's after we cut to the Hollywood sign. <laughs> yeah, it's just so we know where we like, are. How, how can you tell us that you're a cheapo film pretending to be set in Hollywood? <laughs> Give us the Hollywood sign from about ten miles away. Um, yeah, I thought this was a child... I'm sorry, I thought this this really <laughs> shocked me. So, um, this, what I believe to be a child swimming, then we get, action! 
And then the kid just carries... Well, it's a woman. But the woman just carries on kind of swimming, but, like, (laughs) splashing. So she didn't actually change anything she was doing before. (laughs) And (laughs) the word action was called. So she's, like, splashing around. Action! (laughs) And she's just kind of still splashing around. Just like, are you meant to be doing something? (laughs) Um, the producer, Bernie, uh, is dressed like an absolute sex icon. He's got his red hot pants on. There's a lot of swimming trunks. Got his hairy chest on display and got a gold chain on. And he tells Mickey, the director, uh, when he gives him a talent off, uh, because he's not making enough of an exploitation film. And in America, exploitation is a genre. Yeah. <laughs> Mickey, the director, is, of course, played by um, Uli Lamal himself. Um, in, in his big fuck you to Hollywood role. Um, <laughs> he said, yeah, and he goes, uh, come on, honey, take off your top. And she obliges. Yeah. But s- swims on her front anyway, so you c- <laughs> the camera can't pick up her chest. Yeah. Uh, then we cut to Lacey, uh, who's now having dinner with Bonnie and Mickey, and discussing whether or not they've caught the murderer yet from a year ago. Yeah, so Lacey's there to visit her old school pal, Bonnie. Um, Who looks like Britney Spears. <laughs> but let's let's emphasise old school pal. <laughs> yeah, so they went to school together. Yeah. They have dinner together with Mickey. Um, seemingly Bonnie and Mickey are in a relationship. Yeah. Um, they're sat on chairs that look like old-fashioned wheelchairs. <laughs> I, I thought they were wheelchairs. I thought they were wheelchairs. <laughs> Had we seen Bonnie... But No, we'd seen them both stand up. Yeah. And then we cooked to dinner, and they both looked like wheelchairs. Like, freaking... But you are, Blanche, you are. Kind of star wheelchairs. <laughs> I went, fucking hell. Um, but no, apparently just ugly chairs. Yeah. <laughs> Bonnie the, uh... questions Lacey about the first film. Yeah. And we get a flashback <laughs> of Tightsman's murder. Bonnie is horrified... But surely, if she was a school friend of Lacey's, she would have told her something before... Do you know what I mean? They act like they're really best pals. They they say they love each other. You know, best gal pals at school. You'd think Bonnie would have known the story of why Lacey doesn't live with her mum anymore. Well, straight, straight away, Mickey asks her if they caught the murderer. Yeah. So he must know what happened. So they must no. So they know what happened a year previous mm. with the man in the mirror. Oh, they just didn't know the exposition. They didn't know the backstory. But they didn't it. know why the man in the mirror was murdering people. Yeah. But surely, if they were school pals, I would have come up in conversation. I know. Yeah. Like, yeah. why don't you live with your mum? Why do you live <laughs> with your aunt and uncle on a farm? Oh, because my brother killed tights man. <laughs> I mean, you know, kids would say that. Yeah. I just find it really w- stupid that Bonnie was like, why didn't you tell me this before? <laughs> well, um, well, that's that's the funny thing. I mean, first of all, we get the exposition, it begins, and the, the flashbacks have all had the brightness turned down. Oh, God. Like, I mean, you can't see a fucking thing what's yeah. going on. It's so dark. Um, so see Willie being tied up then killing his mum's boyfriend. And Bonnie says... How horrible, how horrible for you. I, I, he never told me. Who's he? Like, uh, are you friends with Willie? If so, Willie oh. couldn't talk, so... 
<laughs> Who never told you? Well, surely the question will come up. Why can't Willie talk? Yeah. <laughs> Mickey wants to know what happened to Lacey's mother. So Lacey explains that her and Willie moved in with their aunt and uncle on their farm. And that they completely forgot about their mother until she sent them a letter. And another flashback to the letter scene and Lacey's nightmare about the killer. All of this is intercut with Joseph the butler uh, drinking wine on his own. <laughs> yeah, so he's not allowed to sit with them at no. the time. But he's not very far away. And you can it keeps cutting to him as if he's eavesdropping. Yeah. Um, but he's not really reacting. No. So it's hard to tell why the camera keeps cutting to him. So we get our flashback to Letter from Mum and her dream for some reason. And then we get a flashback to Lacey under hypnosis. Yeah. And then we get a flashback to Lacey smashing the mirror. <laughs> In between, it's just like reactions like, oh, <laughs> oh. And the butler just not doing anything. It's just not doing anything. Um, Bonnie says, your your husband probably didn't believe you. No, Mickey is like, oh, Mickey so is... I assume your husband didn't believe you then. And Bonnie is like, do you want any more wine? It's like, no. So then we get Mickey kind of asks his butler if there's another bottle of wine, but doesn't actually turn around and look at him. No. And the butler doesn't really acknowledge (laughs) that he's asked if there's another bottle of wine. Um, Really strange. I just find it really weird that Mickey was looking at Bonnie... But asking the butler if there's any more wine. And then the butler, who seemingly has been listening to... You know, it's not like he's got earphones in or anything like that. Just didn't react. No. And that was the scene. I mean, we never see a bottle of wine. No. Like, what is that for? Um, Yeah, so... Flashback to Jake bringing the mirror home. There we go. Uh, Flashback to the two teenage girls and Timmy's death scenes. Uh, and then... <laughs> uh, yeah, how... So I'm assuming that she's retelling the story yeah. of the first film. So how the fuck <laughs> does Lacey know what happened to Scissor Sister and Timmy <laughs> and old, you know, Cupboard Head? Yeah, no idea. She, she knows all the details. She knows all the details. She's got all the tea on that. I think she should be number one suspect. Um, Joseph the butler interrupts the story and says, May I serve dessert? <laughs> First lines of the film. Uh, only lines of the film. I think, yeah. Lacey wants dessert, but Mickey isn't feeling up for it. Yes. Then we get Bonnie and Mickey in bed. And uh, Bonnie asks Mickey if he thinks Lacey is dangerous. I mean, well, yeah, you would. She's just <laughs> giving you intimate details of murders. <laughs> Like, details she shouldn't know. Anyway. Um, but Mickey doesn't Mickey, know. Mickey nah. doesn't think that she... <laughs> Mickey thinks she's all right. And I don't know if I misheard, but Bonnie suggests that she might need some yoga and vitamins to get over the trauma. <laughs> Therapy, yoga and vitamins. <laughs> I thought I missed that. <laughs> That'll solve it. <laughs> all those murders you witnessed, oh, that's all right. You just take some vitamins, love, you'll be over it. Bonnie then suggests that they make a film of Lacey's life. 
because the first one turned out so well. <laughs> Mickey isn't sure, but Bonnie believes it will make them money as his last two films, however brilliant, didn't make any money. And Bonnie is fed up of making excuses to the landlord and the electric company, etc., etc. So my question is, why the fuck do you have a big old fucking house, <laughs> a swimming pool, and a fucking butler <laughs> if you ain't doing so well? Well, she says uh, you should make it so I can get a home of my own and a secure income. Bitch, get your own job. I know, yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming she's an actress. Um, maybe. But she's an actress that doesn't have to go topless in a pool. <laughs> She's a Sherry Moon zombie of the film. I bet he, he casts her and everything. Uh, bon- also, how can his films be that successful? Like, that um, critically acclaimed? If he's uh, filming them in his own backyard? I, <laughs> I mean, that's given Neil Breen, really. <laughs> Bonnie and Mickey have a kid uh, who wakes up. And uh, when Bonnie goes into her room, she's like... <laughs> I totally forgot they had a kid. When Bonnie goes into her room, she's like, The big man is here. Um, but that acting's not convincing anyone. So she asked her to go back to bed. Yeah, like the kid is completely pointless in this film. <laughs> Lacey shows Mickey her box of good luck charms and explains each one. Yeah, in great detail. <laughs> the most notable one is a lucky charm that means get behind me, Satan. <laughs> get behind me, Satan. And then she even has the fucking evil piece of mirror from the first film. <laughs> In her box of good luck charms. The butler listens into him. Um, Only she may touch. Yeah. Lacey and Bonnie chat shit by the side of the swimming pool, whilst Mickey suspiciously watches them and the butler cuts leaves. Mickey reading a copy of Hollywood Babylon. Yeah. Um, so Hollywood Babylon is a book that was written by uh, Kenneth Anger. And it's essentially just retellings of salacious Hollywood gossip. Um, no, That'll show them. I know, yeah. Like, <laughs> anybody's profoundly trying oh. to say here. When Paramount watched this, they'll be fucking fuming. Reading this Hollywood Babylon. <laughs> Lacey gets excited. There's a massive copy of it. Yeah. I mean, the copies I've seen are like normal paperback size. But this is like Encyclopedia Britannica. Like, fucking hell, mate. Lacey gets excited about seeing sun reflecting in the swimming pool, which causes her to have a flashback to when she was fishing with Kevin and the couple got killed with the barbecue skewer. Uh, and the aspect ratio I changes for this one. know the great details I... <laughs> about. Bonnie and Mickey's daughter makes weird noises in the pool whilst talking with Joseph the butler. It, it genuinely sounds like that fucking woman from uh, that Willem Dafoe film. Yeah, weird echo effect, isn't there? For yeah. no, no apparent reason. But then Joseph the butler's like... <laughs> like, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> and then, because no one asked for it, and, and, you know, no one asked for this film, but... We get a little backstory apparently, for, uh, apparently. <laughs> for Joseph the Butler. Uh, Mickey tells Lacey about the good old days of Hollywood um, before then saying that the Butler's wife died. They found him walking down the hill and then hired him to be their butler. <laughs> the good old days of Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, and then <laughs> the Butler's wife died. 
I, the, the main well, point. Why was he wandering? I mean, like, was there a, he was just walking like, down a hill? Because I ain't been finished. They're giving me more Holland Drive. He, he's literally just walking down a hill and they hired him. <laughs> Do you want to be my butler? The butler then goes through Lacey's lucky box oh, and finds the evil piece of mirror and seemingly gets possessed, even though he was already acting like a fucking weirdo. Yeah, very true. The butler's now gone missing and Mickey thinks he might have found a better home at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> Bonnie is fucking fuming. Very inconvenient <laughs> for the party that Mickey organised. Now she's going to have to work <laughs> and she's going to have to make sure the party's nice. <laughs> she did it nice. She did it nice. Bonnie introduces Lacey to Jim and Pris- and in a fucking bizarre series of events. This is the best sequence of events in this film. Bonnie introduces Lacey to Jim and Priscilla, who are in charge of distribution. And everyone's lit from below, so it looks fucking terrifying. They look oh, so unflattering. If I was in this <laughs> film, I'd be like, what the fuck? Next up, she's like, and this is Constance and um, uh, Sandor? And Constance, my favourite character in the film, is like, Yes, this one is Sandor. That's right. <laughs> Sandor and Maya's beauty and adventure. And Constance says, by the by, Sandor just looks too young for me. He eats well and gets plenty of sleep. <laughs> for me. Next up, she's introduced to Harvey and his friend. <laughs> Harvey's friend is like, hi, I'm Kathy. Hoping we can share something real. I don't know what does that even mean. <laughs> and then fucking Cynthia pops on. I'm Sally's friend Cynthia. I'm not married either. And then fucking sex icon Bernie comes back. He's like, so you're the demon killer of self, huh? I'm Bernie, Mickey's friend. This is Sally. She has the distinction of being Miss Arizona of 1979. A very good year indeed. <laughs> Yes, Miss Arizona of 1979. Yes, Miss Arizona. Constance is fascinated with Lacey. Her story and Mickey's fascination with her story. And she says, yes, uh, I'm what they call nosy. Yeah. <laughs> Own it. Own it. Bonnie tells Lacey to, find, to tell them what happened in the barn. So she tells them about a series of events that did not happen in a barn. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, so Lacey... We get the flashback again. We get the flashback. So we get the flashback to the red light barn sequence. So it starts in a barn. <laughs> and then... Sh- uh, but then I'm like, surely without the full story, none of this would make any sense to the guests. But then they know if the whole story. Start- yeah, that's the confusing part. So if she's starting with the end of the film, because... I've got here, oh wow, not just the barn scene, the whole ending of the first film. <laughs> uh, because I was like, when's this going to end? And it like, keep, just kept going. The you see the wow. You see all of it. So she's just told them the ending, but she ain't told them the start yet. But because obviously she's carrying on from the flashbacks for the... Uh, Lord, could you imagine if it just went and started again with the fucking flashbacks? <laughs> That's probably the director's cut version. It's just bad writing, isn't it? Because surely out of context, they'd have no idea what's going on. But surely... But she told them the whole story. This is the confusing part. Because she does tell them the whole story. (laughs) 
But Bonnie's told her to start with the barn part. Yeah. Which isn't the start. This is the end. Well, they have a lot to say about it, don't they? Uh, Lacey gets a Q&A without the A um, about her traumatic experience. <laughs> so I haven't got the characters' names down, but the, the, I've got all the dialogue. It starts off with, don't tell us anymore, honey. I'll have nightmares for weeks. And then it's tall stories, kiddo. Great stuff. Boo. Boo. <laughs> I think you're so brave and strong and everything. If I was going to get killed, I'd just die. <laughs> Makes sense. Let me know when they take you in a UFO. You've got a great, you've got a great deal. Great deal? It's always... But it's all like shot in like a kaleidoscope yeah. style shot. For no reason. I really envy your experience. Are you famous back home? <laughs> then we get a shot of someone just like looking at her, not saying anything. And then it's back to it. And it's, I could help you feel better. Do you like jazz? <laughs> Were you on the television news when it happened? Could I hear that bit about the kids on the beach again? I love that part. So they know the whole thing. So they know the whole thing. I'd love to study you. It's just an incredible phenomenon. They really like you, Lacey. You're a hit. And there's like a massive pause before the next scene. <laughs> yeah. But she's like still like a gourmet. <laughs> yes. Looking back at them. Can't... What? Did we get the producer yeah. telling Mickey that, uh, to make the film about Lacey? Mm-hmm. Um, they're on the other side of the pool to the camera. And the lack of emotion in the dubbing doesn't match the actor's <laughs> hand swinging. <laughs> So his like hands are really going for it, but the dubbing is very monotone. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah, and he's talking about how Halloween is old now. People want suspense and melodrama like Poltergeist. Yeah, like, <laughs> are you allowed to like come for these films? Well, Constance Boogie doesn't Man give a shit. Two. Constance doesn't care. She's like, let me give you my ten cents. Brian De Palma spent 18 million on that bomb of his blowout. You can make 50 movies for that. <laughs> That's fucking rude. That's so rude. <laughs> I mean, blowout's a five-star masterpiece. Yeah. Like, Revenge of the Boogeyman is not. <laughs> let's, you know, people in glass houses really shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, the Boogeyman made 25 million, but... Um... Well, seemingly it triggers Mickey because he's like, well, Constance, you're looking a bit old. <laughs> well, yeah, no, she was. Um, she's um, talking about how she's t- fading. Yeah, she's tight on fading. <laughs> Seems to get earlier and earlier every time. She's like, oh, it's because of all that blood and guts and stuff. It makes me uneasy. So she leaves. Miss Arizona, nineteen seventy nine, and Bonnie tell Lacey how great it is that a film's been made about her life story, but Lacey hates the idea and warns him against it. Yeah. The toys in Bonnie and Mickey's daughter's room start moving around on her own while she's asleep. Somehow it doesn't wake her up. I assume this kills her. Maybe it was cut from the film. I don't know. I mean, well, we don't see her again, do we? No. Oh, they can't kill the kid. They did in the first film. They killed Timmy. And the kid's not with him at the end of the film. No, this is the last time we see her. Oh, shit. Oh, God. Put her out of misery anyway. She couldn't act. Um, Miss Arizona 1979 chats shit with Sandor while someone watches them. This mysterious figure grabs some garden tools. Uh, Sandor tells Miss Arizona 1979 how he's making a mix between Star Wars and Smokey and the Bandit. 
Miss Arizona 1979 explains that Burt Reynolds was her biggest inspiration to become an actress. Like, really? <laughs> Sandal tells like, Miss... Which, which of his films? <laughs> Just him. Just him? Sandal... Like, Burt Reynolds, who's made a career of being the manliest man that's ever <laughs> manly manned... Yeah, made her want to be an actress. Made Mrs. Uh, Miss, Mrs. Miss Arizona 1979... Which film was it? Deliverance? <laughs> well, Sandor tells her to stop talking so they can pretend they're in a silent movie and starts kissing her. But then they're both killed with the garden tools and sadly you could barely see a thing. Yeah, it was really shit. That was, that was actually really shit. Sleazy Harvey. I mean, talk about ahead of your time. The sleazy um, Hollywood personality Harvey chats with Sally in the bathroom and tells her how there's ways he can get her into a movie before offering her some primo stuff from Colombia. Yes, and as a punishment, the lights go off. <laughs> She's killed with shaving Just foam. Just fucking smothered with shaving foam. And Harvey's killed with an electric toothbrush. To the mouth. To the mouth. Yeah. Um, so there we are, that's that. <laughs> The death scenes are so fucking ridiculous in this one. And it's just all crammed into, like, five minutes. The, uh, yeah, off. it's boring, 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 flashback, flashback, flashback. <laughs> and then all the death scenes are crammed in, and it's like... Okay. That'll show Hollywood. <laughs> That'll show, yeah. Bernie tells Bonnie and Lacey about how much money Lacey's going to make and how much Lacey will get from it. And Lacey's like, no one's going to make a movie about my mirror. <laughs> she does say that. It's so weird. Bernie offers Cynthia a ride home and chats shit about sex in films and being called Lord Grey, to which Cynthia says, Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. <laughs> they then start talking about how people are people and how people can't be people without people. <laughs> I love that Barbara Streisand song. <laughs> Bernie wants to turn the cracked mirror into a musical. <laughs> they get into the car and a garage... Cracked mirror? <laughs> yeah. That's you about... mean the mirror yeah. cracked? Well, I mean, that's what he's uh, calling her story. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Uh, they get into the car and the garage door opens on its own. Bernie thinks Cynthia should take the role of Lacey. <laughs> so he tells her to close her eyes, but the killer has other ideas, drags him through the car roof with a bit of rope. Yeah. And, and I don't know where he takes him, because Cynthia goes looking for him. Um, thinks he's pulled some sort of prank, and she's looking around everyone, she can't find him, like even on the ceiling. So I don't know where he went. Um, but then she looks under the car for him and the killer hits her mouth onto the exhaust pipe with a pair of ladders. Yeah, she gets smacked on the ass <laughs> with a pair of ladders. She, yeah, the exhaust goes into her mouth. Yeah. And the engine gets switched on, killing her. Yeah. I don't know what Cynthia did to deserve that. <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, Priscilla talks to Lacey about how she thinks she's bullshitting to make money. So Lacey, like in the first one, has a stress sick in the bedroom. Yeah, she does, yeah. Again, she's been accused <laughs> of uh, making it all up to deal with her trauma. <laughs> yeah. Jim goes for a piss outside uh, and Priscilla is fuming when she finds out. And she says, how are you supposed to close a deal when you can't close your fly? Yeah, she's really after this part of Lacey that's come out of nowhere. It's only been, like, two days. Yeah, she only married him to get that part. And, yeah, um, I don't know why it's such a big deal, 
because the director films in his own fucking back garden. <laughs> so... Jim tells him... Uh, Jim t- she tells Jim if he doesn't get it together, then she'll get a taxi straight to divorce court. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. But save another job, Jim gets a corkscrew to the head whilst Priscilla is strangled with some barbecue tongs. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. This corkscrew <laughs> is like in the air, floating, <laughs> like... You know how the things at the side are like flapping arms? <laughs> Looks like it's fucking bird flapping. It's so fucking <laughs> stupid. But Bonnie and Lacey find the corpses and try to escape. But the butler's staring at them outside with the piece of the mirror. So Lacey pushes him into the swimming pool. And she and Bonnie dive in to get the piece of mirror from him. Is that what they were trying to do? I think so. I mean, Mickey... It seemed that way. Well, in a bizarre series of events, Mickey comes home and starts chatting shit to the corpses. Yeah. He's seemingly happy they're dead. Like some comic relief. It's him talking to Hollywood. Oh, God. Oh, don't. Bonnie and Lacey kill Joseph the butler whilst Mickey watches. Yeah, seemingly they drown him at the bottom of the pool. We get a voiceover from Lacey explaining that she's immune to the power of the mirror because she already defeated it. Is that how it works? Um, so it took over Joseph the butler to kill those who planned on exploiting it. Yeah, no. That's, that's his stupid. fuck you to Hollywood for wanting to make a sequel, exploiting his original film. Ha! Told them. But didn't they take? Didn't it take over the butler's body before? Before they, before they any, arrived. Before they arrived. Before there was any discussion. Like, what time has passed? How long has Lacey been in Hollywood for? Like, everyone's after... As far as I'm concerned, it's only been, like, what, two days? Yeah. Um, so, And everyone's after this part of Lacey in this film. I mean, watch the first Boogeyman. It's not Academy Award nominee <laughs> calibre. Um... But, you know, each to their own. Well, Lacey, in a bizarre series of events, Lacey goes to visit Joseph's grave one last time with Bonnie and Mickey. And Bonnie decides to stay in the car and says, I'm staying here. This has nothing to do with me. Yeah, as you fucking killed him. Exactly. You both killed him. And where has this attitude come from? Because Bonnie was <laughs> nice throughout the rest of the film and then suddenly she's a cow. Mickey and Lacey visit the grave, which has some sticks in the shape of a cross and the same gravestone from the end of the first film. Oh, bastard. Cheapo fucking grave. And Bonnie, um, the hood of the convertible starts closing on Bonnie. She's like, oh my god, it's so hot. This heat is unbearable. Um, shouldn't you be telling people that it's closing on its own? Like, you've witnessed people that have been, have been murdered by invisible forces up until this point. Yeah. You know the whole backstory. You know you're about to get killed. Yeah. So it closes on its own. Ronnie Blakely takes absolutely no notice. <laughs> hey, this is before Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, do you think Wes Craven watched this <laughs> fucking film? Mickey explains that they want him to make the movie now more than ever. And Lacey asks if he's going to make it. But before he can answer, Joseph the butler's hand <laughs> bursts from the grave... And shines the piece of the mirror at Bonnie's car, making it fucking explode as Lacey and Mickey watch it burn. It's the weirdest thing, because you can see that that there's a fire in front of the car. (laughs) And the car's there, and that's the initial explosion. And then what I assume is stock footage afterwards (laughs) 
of an actual car on fire. So I don't think they had the budget to blow up that car. So they had to, like, do fire in front of it and then grab some stock footage of another car that had been burnt so much you didn't realise it wasn't the same car. (laughs) It's so fucking unnecessary. So unnecessary. I don't understand where this came from. Like, why did Bonnie turn into, like, a horrible person and then just get fucking murdered by an exploding car? And if this Mirashard could do that from the get-go, yeah. why are people being killed with electric toothbrushes <laughs> and screw screwdrivers and corkscrews? Like, why didn't he just go around with this Mirashard and just start shooting fucking <laughs> fire at people? Yeah, that's Revenge of the Boogeyman. That is the ridiculousness that is Revenge of the Boogeyman. It is so fucking entertaining. No. In a trash to piece kind of way. No. Really? There's... No, it's... The easiest comparison I can make is to Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Where it's a sequel that relies... Heavy on flashbacks to the original. Yeah. And it's not even as close to as entertaining as Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Not even a Q&A without the answers. Well, that's just ridiculous. It was just... Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's my I point. I wish we would have seen more of those characters. I mean, if you're going to try and be a comedy... I don't think I... it was trying to be a comedy. No. But I, I wish we'd seen more of those characters rather than... Get a rehash of the first fucking film. <laughs> Maybe that's what's in the director's cut. No, apparently that's still <laughs> like 85% of the first film. So that nastiest moment, of course, goes to the exhaust pipe to the mouth. Yeah, yeah, that was actually... Um, it was uh, a pretty grim um, image. Easy winner. Yeah, because yeah, the rest was shite. <laughs> I, I think they'd look better in an uncut version. If it exists. You know. But yes, that is... Cut it down to about half an hour run time that isn't just the first film. (laughs) That is the Boogeyman, Revenge of the Boogeyman, a.k.a. Boogeyman 2. Let us know what you think of these films, if you've seen them. Uh, We're Horrorcourt Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horrorcourt Trash on Twitter. I'm DeadoutGaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. Um, Chris Barker 823 on Instagram, Letterboxd and Twitter. Uh, rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, like and follow on everything else. And now that Nasty November's out of the way, it's time to move on to Christmas. Yeah, last year when we started the Christmas films. Was <laughs> it last year? Yeah. Was, was no, that... we did in both, both years. Oh, Okay. I thought, oh, do you know what? We're not going to have many Christmas films to do. We're going to run out of doing Christmas films. How wrong was I? Two years later. There is still loads of Christmas shite out there. And we are starting it by bringing you uh, the finale in our Silent Night, Deadly Night episodes. As you may recall, we discussed the second film in our first year. And the first one in the remake last year. And now we're discussing the other Silent and Deadly Nights. Three, four and five. Yay. <laughs> I haven't seen them. Shit. 
Are they actually dire? I remember five being the best one um, at a push. Three is abysmal. Don't these have, like, randomly loads of actors that were also in Twin Peaks? Oh, yeah. Yeah, three has, like, the whole cast of Twin Peaks in it. Oh, wow. So, yes, we will be discussing next next week. So, we will see you same time, same place next week. Bye.